church. This is John chapter 1, starting in verse 9. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can we pray together? Lord, where else could we go where we find grace and truth? Where else can we go where we can come just totally open and honest and transparent and being known, still being accepted, being redeemed? Lord, thank you for the hope that you give. And I just pray that you would open my eyes and my ears and our eyes and our ears and hearts to your word this morning. Lord, speak through Pastor Chris. Bless him and Tara and our church staff. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, lives would be changed. My life would be changed here this morning because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. I know what you're thinking. You're up there a little earlier uh, than normal. Um, that's because we're going to finish with um, some worship at the end of this because we're talking today about the glory of God. And we're talking about the um, amazing attributes of God and how he has shown himself to his people. And just like Moses, when he left the presence of God and he walked out into the world and his face was shining, we want you to get filled up with the Lord and then leave this place to be sent out to be shining with the glory of the Lord. And so we're going to start, we're in Exodus chapter 40. And this is sort of the end of the book of Exodus. Now we're not done following the Israelites until they get into the promised land. And that means we're going to get into the book of Numbers and we're going to start going into some Deuteronomy. So we're finishing up the actual book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 4. Now if you remember last week we had some craft time, right? And we had Bezalel and Aholiab were the two men that God had ordained to create and to build the different things that were in the temple, the different furniture, the curtains, the, the silver um, things that the poles went into, all these different things that were going to create. Well, it's going to take them nine months to create all those things. So actually the Israelites are going to take, it's going to take a full year from the time they left, right after the Passover, after the 10th plague, death of the firstborn son, it's going to take a full year for them to head out to the promised land. Three months to get to Sinai, nine months here during this time where they're building this stuff for the tabernacle. And then finally, the tabernacle will be the center of life, right? They'll camp around it, and they'll be ready to go into and travel into the promised land. Okay, so we're picking up in Exodus chapter 40. And we're going to see this sort of answer of Moses to God. And we see the glory of God descending upon this finely finished tabernacle. This is verse 34. 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all of their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till that day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the houses of Israel throughout all of their journey. So the glory of the Lord would come upon the place. So if you're imagining this building being the tabernacle that when you drove by on Rebel Road, whatever, or Jack C. Hayes Trail, whatever it is right here, and you just looked over, this building would be filled with the cloud, the glory cloud of God. And then at night when you drove by, fire just all through this, that would be the glory of the Lord that was shining to let everybody know that God was here, right? This is the glory of the Lord. So the question is going to be, what does the glory of the Lord look like to us today? And how can we be the ones shining that glory to the world? Now, how many of you have heard the glory of the Lord called the Shekinah glory of the Lord, right? You've heard the word Shekinah. Now, the word Shekinah is actually not a word found in the Bible. It's actually an Aramaic word. It's actually found in um, these ancient kind of commentaries called a Targan. It's actually found in there. It's described as this Shekinah glory. The word actually that's written here in Exodus, the word kavod, right? This word kavod is this word for the glory of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's the word doxa. Have you heard of a doxology before? Right, the word doxology comes from a song or praise that gives glory to the Lord. So a doxology is based in this idea of bringing glory to the Lord. So today what we're going to do is we're going to study what does the glory of the Lord look like? How do we define it? How do we recognize this glory of the Lord around us? Does it, does it still come in a cloud and fire or does it come through his people and through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Well, we have to start with a definition. What is the glory of the Lord? Here's my definition of the glory of the Lord. The glory is the full manifestation of his attributes. So the glory of the Lord is when we see the fullness of God, the manifestation of his attributes. Well, what kind of attributes, right? His eternal power and divine nature from the book of Romans chapter 1. That's part of his character. What about his love? What if we were to see God's love fully fall upon us in this place? Would it change us? Would it crush us? Would it convict us of the times that we haven't loved our neighbors? What would the glory of the Lord do to us if it were to fall in this place? Even if, I, made, I made a list of them. What if his majesty were to fall upon this place? Like it does in the book of Psalms. Oh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What about his justice? Like in the book of Amos. Or, or the light of the Lord in the book of John or in the Psalms. Or his self-existence, his very being, like it mentions in the Colossians chapter 1. Or what if his life was to fall upon us? He was the source of life, right? He breathed life into Adam. Does he breathe life into us? Is he our sustainer? Of life, his salvation. How beautiful is his salvation for us? And how often do we take it for granted? What if the salvation, what if the gospel were to truly fall upon us? His wisdom, 
like from the book of Psalms, or his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. We could go on and on to describe the, the things of God that we desire in our life. Don't we desire to have mercy, especially when we mess up? Don't we desire to have grace, especially when we're the ones that need it? But if his grace were to fall upon us, how would that change our worship? Would it change, do I need to go to, to my brother and go, oh, BJ, man, I've, his grace fell upon us. I've held this against you. Dun, dun, dun. And what if that were to be the church? That his grace fell upon us where we didn't hold a record of wrong. I'm not saying BJ did me wrong. I'm just saying, using BJ's name. I'm just saying, he hit me with a plane last week, or plane. But what if we were to let the goodness of God fall upon us? Would it change us? This is what it means for us to see and experience the glory of the Lord. So we're going to dive. Let's go. Let's rewind in the book of Exodus to Exodus 33. A few weeks ago, we were reading this passage, and then we sort of skipped a section. And we don't want to skip sections biblically. We want to keep going through it. But we're saving this section for this week to talk about this glory of the Lord and to tie these things together. So let's start in verse 7. Some of this will sound familiar because we read a little bit of it before, but to set the context of what's going on in this passage. We'll start in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meaning. So you remember, we talked about the tent wasn't the centerpiece until it became the tabernacle. Moses would go out from the camp, set up a tent, Kind of like John the Baptist would be outside the camp, and then Jesus came to be the one that dwelt among us. Anyway, fun connection there. But he would set up this tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses, and all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent. All the people would rise up and worship, each at his own tent. So you remember, we talked about how when the glory of the Lord shows up, his people worship. When God shows up, we sing his praise, right? When his glory is here, we can't help but celebrate what's going on. And the people had learned from the golden idol at adventure, we'll call it, um, that they needed to glorify God in that place. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, so now they're going to give us one of those conversations that Moses had with God. He's going to give us this, a little sense of that here. See, you say to me, this is Moses, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So Moses is remembering God had told him he was going to destroy this group of people, but then God, God is going to explain that in greater detail next week when we get to the 12 spies and that ad adventure that happened with them as well. But he, Moses is saying, like, Who's going to go with me? Who is going to be the ones that go into the promised land? Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He's saying, Lord, show me your ways. 
Show me how to live. Show me the way to be and way to operate so I may find favor with you. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Remember, he doesn't want to go without the presence of God. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? In other words, what makes us different than everybody else? That God goes with us. And that's true of us. That what makes us different than the world is that when we leave this place, we have hope. That we have the Holy Spirit that goes with us. That we have not despair, not dread, not losses, but we have Jesus we, when we go out of this place. Right? So he's just like saying, hey, what makes us distinct is that you are with us. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. And then Moses asked the question, please show me your glory. Let me ask you that. Would that be a question you would ask God? Please show me your glory. What do you think? Answer that in your mind. Do you want to see the glory of God? Because I, I know a lot of people say, well, I want to see the glory of God, but, man, I have this vacation planned. It's going to be so amazing. Can you come, like, Right after that. Or I've talked to premarital counseling with people like, God, can you come back like right after the marriage night? Right after we get married, like the next day, that would be awesome. Because marriage brings about this beautiful gift, which is sex, right? This amazing thing that God has given us. Can we just experience that and then your glory comes back? If we, if we have a caveat like, Lord, we want you to come back, but that means that we don't understand the glory of God. It means we don't understand how good God is. We don't understand how good heaven is. That we get to experience the fullness of joy. Are you looking forward to heaven? Are you looking forward to Jesus returning? Is that our hope? The hope of glory that we get to look forward to? I hope so, right? And so Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Right? And if we didn't realize it, that's what this whole thing is about. All of this world is about the glory of the Lord. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right, in verse 31, he's talking about um, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of the Lord, right? So it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're driving in to pack and sack to get gas, do it for the glory of the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you're going to shop, whether you're going to dinner, lunch after this and you're treating your waiter or waitress in a way that honors the Lord. Whatever you do, do it in a way that honors the Lord, because all the things that we do are supposed to bring glory to his name. And that perfect example of that is Jesus. Let's look at John uh, chapter 17. John 17 says this. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer as he's praying for uh, the people. He says, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And here's Jesus' prayer. Lord, glorify me so that I may bring you even more glory. That we're supposed to be ones that are reflecting the glory of the Lord to the world, right? Sort of like the moon has no light of its own, but the sun gives it light because it reflects off there. We're supposed to be the same. We're supposed to reflect the glory of the Lord to the world. It doesn't have to come from us. 
We just have to be willing to shine to a world that needs us. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is what eternal life means. We get to know God and we get to know Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. All right, so Jesus is longing to glorify God in a way that brings the same glory that he had before he came in the flesh. When he's 100% God, explaining in all of the glory of the Lord, but then he came in flesh to show us an example of how to live, that Jesus' goal was to bring glory to God. And if that's his goal and we're following him, then that should be our goal as well. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 43. Um, were we created for the glory of God? Absolutely. Here's what it says in Isaiah 43, verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I gather you. And I say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That our life, we were created for the glory of God. That you weren't created for your own self. You were created to bring glory to the Lord. By the way, that means he didn't make a mistake in making you. That he made you with a purpose. And that purpose was to bring glory to him. That, that's the good news of the gospel, right? We're made for the glory of God. And did you realize that even nations were made for the glory of God? Let's go back in Exodus chapter 14. If you turn back a little bit, you might remember this guy named Pharaoh. Remember him? Right? We had this guy named Pharaoh, right? And so here's what it says in verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. That Pharaoh's purpose was to bring glory to the Lord, even through his hardening. Do you realize that, in fact, Eric Reem shared this with me before, and I had never made this connection before, that that same word, kavod, which means glory of God, is the same word here used as harden. That God just showed Pharaoh his glory, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Because he was not willing to give the glory to someone else besides him. Because he thought he was God. And yet God got glory. Do you realize that even the nations are made for the glory of God? Now listen, I know. It's political season, right? In fact, we've seen commercials, haven't we? We've seen commercials of this guy's terrible and this person's terrible and their policies are horrible and they're going to kill you. And this person's policies are horrible and they're going to kill you. Guys, what is politics in comparison to the glory of God? Who do we trust in? Do we trust in this earth? Do we trust in our government or do we trust in the glory of God? Look what Proverbs 21.1 says. It says, and it says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He will turn it wherever he wills. Guys, the Lord is in control. You're like, wait, but I don't like the way this is going or I love the way this is going. God is in control. Whatever is happening in our world, maybe it's meant to bring us to Jesus' feet. Maybe it's meant to humble us 
And don't get me wrong, I, I, it's great. You want to get involved in those other things? Awesome. But the purpose of this is to remember that the glory of God is above all. And our purpose, if you're not bringing glory to God with the way that you act, you're missing. You're missing the mark. You're not being who God wants you to be. We're supposed to bring glory to the Lord because he is in control. Do you believe that? He's in control. So we have to trust in him beyond all the other things. So, Lord, show me your glory. Are we, are we willing to ask that and boldly proclaim that? Lord, show me your glory. Let's go back in Exodus 33. Let's, let's keep reading. Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. Notice that God is not going to give the full manifestation of himself. He's just going to show him his goodness, right? And so I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, right? This is Yahweh. He's going to proclaim his name. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my good glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Remember you heard that song, The Cleft of the Rock? Remember that good old hymn? I was just thinking about the cleft of rock. That's from this story. But we also know that people have seen the glory of the Lord. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6? We've read it a couple times in here. Let's read it again. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. I think something beautiful happens in this passage. We see Isaiah in the throne room getting to see the Lord high and lifted up. It says this in verse 1. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think that was actually the song we sang. Who is the Lord of hosts? The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when the glory of the Lord falls, we fall on our knees before him. Did you notice what Isaiah's reaction was to seeing the Lord high and lifted up? What's the first thing that happened? Woe is me, right? Woe. Like, what am I compared to the Lord? You get up on the mountains of Colorado and you look down and you see, well, how little am I? You get under, we go scuba diving, get underneath of the water and look around and go like, man, how little and tiny am I compared to this huge ocean? That is, how big is God that this is his footstool? And so he says, woe is me. Do you realize that? God is going to take his dread and turn it into joy. He says, I'm lost. He's going to take his losses. He's going to say, no, Isaiah, you're not lost. You're known by me. He's going to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I sin. But yet God's going to give him salvation. He says, your sins are atoned for in me. And his fear is going to turn into, Lord, send me. Now, isn't that amazing? That when God comes in our life, similar things happen to us. 
Now, I don't know, I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what you walk through. But when depression comes, our tendency is to pull back instead of press into the Lord. You see, if the glory of the Lord is here, are we willing to step into it? Because in the glory of the Lord, we can truly find joy. That If you're alone, you're like, you know what, I'm just lonely. That you can be known and loved, not only by a God that loves you, but by a church who loves you. Is this a church that people can be not okay and still come here? That people can be messed up? I hope so, because I'm your preacher. You know I got issues, right? I just share them with you from right here, right? That this is a place that you can come and be fully known and still be loved. That's so freeing to not be, feel trapped. You might say, but yeah, but you just don't know me, Chris. Like I have this cycle of sin that just goes over and over. I keep messing up in the same way over and over again. I know. I do too. And yet Christ has said, through me, I can set you free. You don't have to keep living the same cycle of sin. I can set you free because of my grace and my presence and because of my glory. Because I have works for you, which God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. God has a plan and a purpose for you. That's the good news of the glory of God. And this is the good news for us is that it's not just all about us. Because he says, once I've done that, what was Isaiah's reaction? Lord, send me. Because God goes, who should I send? And Isaiah, who's been touched on the lips, right with the cold, like, hey, send me. Send me. I'm ready to go. Right? If I said, who's going to go share the gospel this week in their workplace? Lord, send me. Right? Hopefully, in your heart, you're like, yes. Lord, give me that opportunity this week to share the gospel with someone. Instead, we so often get caught in these cycles and we get caught in realizing it's not about our glory. It's about his glory. Let's, let's go back and finish um, this passage here. He's, been, he's in the cleft of the rock, and he says, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this word back is the same word as like my remnant, what's left of me, right? So God's going to pass, his goodness is going to pass by, and then Moses is going to get to see the back, get to see the, the leftover of his goodness. Why can he not see God's face? Because he says, wait, I'm gonna, you're going to die. If you saw me in all my glory, you would die. So right here, you should remember, have your thinking brain on, right? Step out of your thinking brain. Wait, didn't I remember Moses talked to God face to face, didn't he? Didn't we read that a few minutes ago? In fact, let's go back to verse 11. Right? Verse 11 says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. So, so what does that mean? Because here, God the Father's like, you cannot see me in all my glory, or else it would kill you. And yet, Moses talked to God face to face. What does that mean? So scholars throughout centuries and millennia have been arguing about this was just a metaphorical face to face, or they would argue about those different things. Like, I'm not that smart. I just think it's Jesus, right? That when people see God face to face, I immediately think of Jesus, and that Jesus is the one meeting with Moses in the tent. And like, yeah, but, you know, Jesus is always the right answer. Right? Do you have any proof of that? Well, let's talk about some other times that people in the Old Testament experienced God face to face. Do you remember Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32? Right? He's wrestling all night long. And then finally, 
Jesus touches his hip, it goes out of socket, so Jesus could have won at any point, right? And in that, that place was called penile. What did penile mean? Remember I told you a few weeks ago, where I've experienced God face to face. I've seen God face to face, right? Well, what about um, in Abraham, right? We had the, the three angels came up, right? And two of them went to Sodom and Gomorrah, but one of them stayed behind um, with Abraham. And Abraham was debating back and forth. Will you destroy it if there's 50 righteous people? What about 45? What about 40? And you're like, 10, 5, if anyone is there, right? Just right, and it still gets destroyed. But he's talking to this person that could pull back judgment. That was Jesus. Do you remember the commander of the Lord's army? Joshua was going to meet the commander of the Lord's army right after they parted the Jordan and walking through, getting ready to walk around Jericho. And what does the commander of the Lord's army say in Joshua chapter 5? Hey, take off your sandals. The place you walk is holy ground. Who else says that? God says that to Moses at the burning bush, right? Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who else appeared in there with them? One like the son of the gods. Jesus, saving them from the fire. They came out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke, right? Jesus has been at work since the beginning of time. He didn't just happen to show up, right? Jesus is eternal. He's been a part of the story ever since. That's why I think that Moses got to see him that way when he went to the transfiguration. He's like, hey, good to see you again, Moses. Because they had not only met in heaven, but they had met face to face on this earth before. And so, does Jesus want to meet with you? Does he want to talk to you? Does he see you as a friend? Someone that he could communicate with? I believe so. I believe God has that plan and that purpose for us. So, let's think about this book of Exodus, okay? Let's think about this ark. Since we're finishing Exodus, let's think about the ark of the book of Exodus, right? They started in slavery, right? Underneath of the thumb in Egypt, right? And then they are now have moved to where they're getting to see God in all of his glory. And now the tabernacle is fixing to be the centerpiece of their life. And isn't that the same story of redemption that we get to live? Isn't that the same story of us as a follower in Christ even today? So, so I wrote down some verses um, for us to look at. Because did you realize that we were trapped in sin? That we were a slave to our sin before we had the freedom of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. That we have a veil over, we don't understand God when our sin. But Jesus has set us free through the cross. Like Jesus rescued us. God rescued us through Jesus. Isn't that good news? That while we're still a sinner, Christ died for us. When we're still enslaved, he came to set us free. But guess what? We still stumble around the desert, don't we? We still chase after idols. If we're honest, we are prone to wonder, aren't we? We, we? we know God. We know him in all his glory. But, man, we tend to forget sometimes. And we saw that example with the Israelites. Here's how uh, Psalm 106 describes it. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal idol. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. How silly is that? How crazy is that, right? They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things for them in Egypt. But yet in Romans chapter 1, how does it describe us nowadays? It says... Um, 
claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. That we so often forget the glory of God and we chase after humans that are good at basketball or are good at acting. And we make these people into these idols. We have shows called American Idol. We literally put people on a pedestal and we forget about the immortal God who created all things. And we don't worship him We worship others. Instead of the glory of God, we trade it in for images on our phone that are disgusting and dark. We trade in the glory of God for a piece of paper to buy something that's going to rust and moths are going to destroy. We have a tendency to wonder. But the good news is we're not stuck because God is not done with us yet. Isn't that good news? God's not done with us. He's not done with me. Hopefully he's not done with you. If you start this relationship with Christ, we read this verse a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. It says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Guys, a little bit at a time, God is changing us to become more like Jesus. A little bit at a time. Right? Some of y'all are ahead of us. That's okay. Don't judge us who are a little bit behind, okay? Because it's a little bit at a time turning us to become more and more and more like Jesus. And why Jesus? Because he was the one who tabernacled among us. In other words, just as the Israelites eventually were going to have the tabernacle, which screams out Jesus. Remember the tabernacle? That is now going to be the center of their life. Is Jesus the center of our life? Why? Because what did, what did Eric read? John 1.14, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt. You know that the word dwelt means tabernacled, right? The one who tabernacled among us. That God himself, the word, became flesh. Jesus came and dwelt full of grace and truth so that we could be full of grace and truth. This is the gospel. This is the glory of God at work through you that we become more like Jesus. And so we're going to pray And then we're going to worship a God who doesn't just say, huh, Chris, I've seen your life and you're not up to par. Your works are way behind. We have a God who says, hey, a little bit at a time, buddy. Let's keep going. Become like my son, Jesus. One step at a time. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us or forsaken us, Lord, that when we sin and we fall short of your glory, that you are faithful. Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us to be faithful I pray that you'll help us to live in grace and in truth. I pray that you'll help us to be um, a people of God that put you in the center. Lord, I thank you for this book of Exodus, which is this beautiful story of redemption, Lord. Taking the people of God from, from slavery and oppression and just ugliness and bringing them into a new life centered on you. Lord, I pray that that'll be our story as well. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. So, Lord, as we finish this time and as we sing praises to you today, Lord, may you get all the glory. We pray this in the beautiful and glorious name of Jesus. Amen. If you guys would stand with me, I want to read Psalm 113 as sort of a doxology uh, to finish. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home and makes her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Jesus is better, make my heart burn. 
Yeah, baby. 
thank you. In all your glory, in all your majesty, in all your holiness, for tabernacling with us. Thank you for changing us from one degree of glory to another. How good of a God, how great of a salvation you provide. Lord, we love you. Amen. Oh, church, hear the praises of God's people. It's, it's fast. It's wonderful. Um, there's a couple of things I want to share with you before we go. Um, the, the most upcoming thing is the, um, is the church banquet. It is happening next Sunday. It is next Sunday. Um, I am so excited about this. Our, um, our pastor, he is he's so creative with his designs and his little sneakiness. Um, if you look, it says on the horizon. See how the ZO looks like a 20? That's because this is our 20th year as a church. So um, from 2002 to... To now, and, and there's so much um, that God's been faithful and so much to celebrate and praise Him for. We hope you, um, you get to come to that. We need you to register for it. So I'm going to make this real simple. There is a thing called a link tree. And, and that's said before, but I just want to, you just didn't know, in your bulletin there's a QR code with like a tree in the middle of it. That's it. It's not like a physical tree. Don't. It's a, it's a digital thing. And so you take a picture of it with your phone. Do we have a link tree slide, Tyler? No, we don't? Okay. So, um, no, no, we do. Um, so there it is. You can take a picture of that with your phone. You can take a picture um, um, on the bulletin. Um, you can also go to the website. And the, one of the banners on the website, there's the link tree. So hit that with your, with your phone, and that's how you would register for it so we know just how much food to bring. Speaking of registering for things, okay, um, ladies, um, my wife is super excited, and the women's ministry team is super excited about the women's advent. It is coming up. It is November 27th, and so there is a table outside that is, uh, if you're wanting to register for that, uh, the cost is 20 bucks. The last day to register is November the 13th, and so that's not this Sunday or the next Sunday, but it's the next Sunday. And so, um, but you can, I'll just register with the, cute, with the link tree on that, or you can go to the website, or you can go right there to the table. Anyway, so that's going to be a, a fantastic time of fellowshipping and, um, and making something that's going to remind you and your family of Jesus during that Advent season. So I hope you can make it to that November 13th at 5 p.m. I gotta, I gotta get better contacts. I can't see the thing. So, anyways, uh, church, um, we love you. I'm gonna leave you with a verse of Philippians two eleven. Um, in fact, I'm gonna read ten. Um, and God gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And may our knees be bowing and may our tongues be confessing this week that Jesus is Lord. We love you, church. You're dismissed. <laughs>